Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, TEDx and keynote speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information related to positive psychology, my own spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and all kinds of wellness-related stuff. And uh, it's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners know, my goal is always to bring to you guests that lead their own lives with enthusiasm and have different ways of helping us to become the best versions of ourselves, regardless of how good or how adverse our circumstances may be. And in this regard, we've got a really special guest today. Really happy to have a conversation with him and bring him to you. Kim Curry, who used to be a DJ known as Kid Curry had a successful 33-year career as a DJ and then programmer in the radio field. I guess those of you who are in the Miami area and probably a few other areas throughout the country are, are familiar with the name Kid Curry. Again, he had a successful career until being forced into retirement after the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis in 2005 and he pivoted actually wrote it into a memoir has done other things with his life since and we're going to be talking about that uh his books will be mentioned and where you can get them and so on but i think he's going to have a fascinating story and a lot of advice for those of you who are confronting adversities as we move through the lifespan and trying to maintain that level of enthusiasm, which we think is real important for personal growth. So I've been looking forward to this, Kim. Really happy to have you uh, with us. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Dr. Ron, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. Well, great. It's, uh, again, a real honor and really want to hear a little bit about you and your story First of all, although this may not be the, the heart of the matter, I don't get to interview too many DJs. So uh, how does somebody become a successful DJ? What, tell us a little bit about your journey. When I was 17 years old, Ron, um, I, I'm from a very small little town in Colorado called Canyon City. And there's only one radio station there. My father was retired from the U.S. Navy after 20 years, and he decided to retire in Canyon City. And he had a variety of different jobs. He moved there, I guess we moved there when I was 10. He had a variety of different jobs from the time I was 10 until I was 17. He was a policeman. He was a guard at the Colorado State Penitentiary, which, by the way, is at first in Maine, <laughs> right downtown Canyon. Uh, he worked for the gas company. Uh, and when, he, when I was 17, he was working for the only radio station in Canyon City, Colorado. Uh, it's called KRLN, and he was a news director and slash sales guy at the radio station. And 
I really wasn't interested because this particular radio station to my friends was the radio station all of our parents listened to. We listened to the rock and roll radio stations over in Pueblo all the time. So I really wasn't very interested in the radio station or his job. But he came home one day and he asked if, uh, he said, the, the general manager wants to know if you'll babysit this weekend. And when I was in high school, part of my making money was babysitting my parents' friends' kids. So I assumed that I was going to go to the radio station on Saturday to babysit the general manager's kids. Well, when I got there, he was the only guy in the building, aside from the DJ, who I couldn't, I couldn't see. I could hear the music, couldn't see it. But he was downstairs in his office. And he called me downstairs and uh, I went into his office and I, I asked him, I thought I was here to babysit your kids. And he says, no, I need you to babysit the radio station. Every Sunday morning from, you know, six o'clock in the morning until 10, they would play back the previous week's church services on the radio. And none of the guys at the radio station wanted that job. So they needed a guy, a high school kid to go in and babysit the playing of what we used to refer to as the God show. So I was the kid who would put the tapes on and, and play the tapes on the air. But every hour I had to give the station identification because this is the seventies. And back then the federal communications commission had quite a few requirements. And one of them was giving the station ID every hour at the top and at the bottom of the hour. And so I remember the first time I heard my voice on the radio when I I can actually remember the thing I said. I said, this is KRLN, Canyon City, Colorado, the station with the news reputation. And the first time I heard that in my headphones, I was amazed and shocked because we hear ourselves from the, out, the inner ear. I had headphones on and was listening to myself from the outer ear. I'd never heard that person before. I was stunned and shocked but it was so intriguing to hear my voice on the radio and I was hooked. So I graduated high school and went off to uh, Southern Colorado State College over in Pueblo, Colorado and studied broadcasting there for a few years. And uh, we got to talk about my name, Kid Curry. First of all, my name is Kim Brill, K-I-M-B-R-E-L. Now my mother used to tell me that Kimbrell was the male version of Kimberly but I've never met another guy named Kimbrell in my life. In fact, if you Google it, there's one. He's right here. But on the radio in the 70s, you wouldn't call a guy Kim or Kimbrell on the radio. So on the day that I got hired for my first part-time job when I was in college in Pueblo, the, the boss was in the, it was in the studio with a guy who was recording all of our voice, uh, he would say, you know, like the news person, this is the station with the news reputation, you know, and he was that guy. And he did all the intros for the for the disc jockeys. And so when it came time to make the, the intro for me, the boss said, well, we can't call you Kim Curry. We've got to come up with another name. And he reached down and he picked up a 45 single. And the 45 single was the Monster Mash by Boris Bobby Pickett. But it was written by Gary Paxton. So the boss says, okay, picks up the record, you'll be Gary Paxton. So that was my first radio name because he couldn't call me Kim on the radio. So I spent a couple of years there, part-timing on the radio was on, as I'm in college. And 
after a couple of years, I got my oats thinking that I was a pretty good little DJ and I wanted to apply for disc jockey jobs around America. And I applied uh, to a variety of different places, but was actually offered a job in Knoxville, Tennessee. So as I'm driving across the country to Knoxville on my first full-time radio job, I wanted to come up with a better name than Gary Paxton. And back in those days, you had Wolfman Jack, you had the Boogeyman, you had Dr. Brock, the ugliest jock in rock. So I, had to, I wanted to come up with a cool name. And I was going to be on the radio at night at 10 p.m. So I thought, well, I'm going to call myself Night Smoke. Remember, it was 1976, okay? Night Smoke. When I got to Knoxville, I walked up to the radio station front door and I opened the door. The receptionist was sitting at the desk and there was a big, big guy behind her with a Hawaiian shirt and curly, frizzy hair. And I put my hand out to the lady and I said, hello, ma'am, I'm your new nighttime disc jockey. I'm Night Smoke. And the big guy behind her says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry. And now I've got to take you quick all the way back to the 70s. You're going to relate to this when I tell you this story. In the 70s, around 75, there was a TV show called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. No, I'm sorry. The movie, the original movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, had a TV show on ABC. And it was kind of, it was a takeoff of the original Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And the two characters were named Hannibal Hayes and Kid Curry. So when I was in high school, my friends used to joke about, oh, you're Kid Curry. So when this guy behind the desk at the radio station says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry, I said, I hate that name. He says, well, then I won't sign your check. <laughs> and I said, Kid Curry it is. That's so that's how I got the name Kid Curry. <laughs> that's quite an incentive. And so you had a successful career as a DJ. And then is program director a step up or is it a different kind of skill set or what uh, goes into that kind of training? You have to kind of, you have to learn how to make people listen to the radio. Uh, and when you're a young guy, you know, six months after I got to Knoxville, I got my real first big break. And, and it was the first break that really actually identified my career. I, I got a job in Miami, Florida. And I went to work for, at the time, I didn't know was one of the top five program directors of a top 40 music in America. I was a young rookie in radio. I didn't care. I just liked being on the radio and talking to girls. So getting the job in Miami was my first real big break. Attaching myself to him for a year, he got dismissed because of an illegal contest that radio station had done years before. So he got fired. And instead of me leaving Miami, the guy on, the, on, the, on our competition, uh, the big radio station that was in town, when I went to work in Miami, I went to work for the number two top 40 station. Well, the number one top 40 station hired me when I, the guy got fired and I was going to leave the station. They decided to hire me. Then I went to work for another guy. I went to work for Jerry Clifton and Bill Tanner. Now, these two people in the radio business are two very famous programmers. So I attached myself at a very young age to two, these two people and ended up working in San Antonio for Jerry Clifton. I went to work in Washington, D.C. for Bill Tanner. I worked again in Miami two or three more times. So these guys really identified my career for me, and they taught me how to become a, a program director. But now you got to remember, Kid Curry was the nighttime DJ on the radio. 
So my entire career, I had groupies come into the radio station. Mm -hmm. So it took a long time. I mean, years, decades for management to not think of me as the young guy or the kid with all the with all the groupies around because they bring gifts, cakes, you know, they make a real 20 years of real disruption in my life as a DJ. So it took them a long time to decide that they were going to make me program director. And through a series of circumstances in Miami, I got to be the program director of what at the time was one of the most famous top 40 rhythmic stations in America. So 1996, I become the program director of Power 96. Now, I was handed that radio station after people who I was very comfortable with and had worked with for years. They actually gave it to me after they finally decided I could do it. I, I didn't do anything really new. All I did was bring a new attitude to the radio station. I didn't change any staff members. I brought a new attitude and the radio station had the highest ratings in the history and it had been on for 20 years. And it was the number one radio station in Miami, Florida. So things were going very well for me for nine, nine years. But during my entire life, I've had these exacerbations of things that I couldn't answer. One time I thought I got stung by killer bees because I started having these funny, my arm would curl up and my eye would fail. One time I thought I got bitten by fire ants because I went to my neighbor's house and, and got his newspaper one time and these ants went crawling up my arm and I had, a, I had a really bad reaction. I thought that's what was going on, but I was having these MS exacerbations. I didn't identify them until four years, five years into my programming Power 96, I started having trouble with my gait. I couldn't walk straight. My eye, my right eye began failing fairly miserably. My shoulder was obviously having constant pains. And strangely enough, there would be times my, my toes would curl up, just suddenly curl up in the middle of the day. Mm. Well, four years into my thing at Power 96, the next five years, those conditions get really, really bad. And when I turned, I was, in fact, I was home at my, my mother's here in Colorado with my wife and our kids. And we were vacationing uh, at the same time of that big J Japanese tsunami. And my mom and I were watching this tsunami. And we'd never seen anything like that before. We, as human beings, we'd never seen a tsunami. You'd never seen that broadcast. So I was very much into what I was seeing. And my mother stopped in the middle of it. And she said, there's something wrong with you. And I, I said, what? She said, look at your face. Look at your eyes. Look at your hand, your hands curled up. There's something wrong with you. And I said, mom, I think I'm just under the stress of what I'm watching. I have a very stressful job in Miami, but okay, when I go home, I'll go to the doctor and I'll see if I can figure out what it is. And as you know, MS is not a very easy thing to diagnose. About six weeks later, the doctor caught me over at a corporate meeting over in Naples uh, it, was, it was five o'clock in the afternoon. We are getting ready to break up the meeting. And she called on my cell phone and she said, um, I think I've, I've decided that what I'm going to diagnose you with is multiple sclerosis. You need to be in my office on Monday morning because we need to start planning your life. 
I went really quickly there to get yes, so. No, that's it's just so interesting. But I have to ask, as a psychologist, you uh, obviously never planned for, studied for, or prepared to be an MS patient. How did you handle the news and and the discussion of where the rest of your life was going to go and how it was going to be spent and how it would be different? That's, you know, that's the whole story here. And that's why I wrote the memoir, because I wanted people to understand the career, understand what was going on in my life on the day when everything changed, because I was a normal guy until that day when she said, you've got MS, because I had an answer to all the things that were going on, but I had no idea what MS was. By the time, and remember, I got that phone call in Naples. It's a three-hour trip across Alligator Alley to get back to Miami. I was on the phone with my wife the whole time, and it was 2005 version of Google. And she's telling me things about multiple sclerosis that I did not know about. And as we're, I'm driving across Alligator Alley, she says, wait a minute, people die from multiple sclerosis. So by the time I got to my home, I was in a very different place. So that was the matter of three or four hours. In the, in the next couple of days, things in my office, I was not paying attention to the things I need to pay attention to. I, I decided because I, I knew what was going on. I could tell what was happening to me. I knew I had to get away. And the doctors will tell you that stress is very much a factor with multiple sclerosis. And there's every reason to believe that being program director of the biggest radio station in Miami, Florida, brings a lot of stress. So the only thing I could think to do was to stop. I, I went and I told my GM, I'm done. They tried to do everything they could to keep me in the building. I said, no, I'm finished. I'm done. Six months later, I moved back to my hometown here in Colorado uh, because my mother was still here. I didn't know what was going on with me physically. And I was going down really hard at that point. I wasn't even taking any MS drugs at that point. They still hadn't decided what to give me. Mm -hmm. So we move out here to call back here to Colorado. They get me on Copaxone, which is one of the, I think there were five MS drugs at the time. And I spend the next eight years with my health failing miserably. And here's where the mental aspect comes in. You know, when you're Kid Curry, the program director of Power 96 and a fairly famous radio DJ in some markets in America, people want to be next to you. They want to know you. They want to come to you and talk to you and see you. But when you're Kim Curry, the guy who goes from a cane to crutches to a wheelchair, people don't want to be close to you and they move away from you. And that took a real toll on me. It took me a long time to figure it out. Not only was I physically going down, not only was I struggling with what I was going to do for my wife and what this was ha what was happening for my family because of my health failing. I had to come up with things. I wanted to in fact we became property investors at the time because I had to keep an income coming in. And we fixed and flipped a bunch of houses at the time and I actually got involved in some of that work. I could crawl along the floor and tile we actually had some acreage out here. So my wife let me buy a John Deere tractor and I would crawl up my tractor, pull myself up. And the only way I could make the tractor accelerate was to put my, my foot on the pedal and push it down so it would go and then take it off. 
I tried like crazy to come up with the new me, but I can tell you it took me a long, long time to get over that. But there was a point to where everything began to change. Science is magic. Uh, For eight years, I was on Copaxone and my condition continued to to deteriorate miserably. Uh, I've I've lost a lot of feeling from my mid thigh down. Uh, My eye is nearly gone, my right eye, my shoulder. So the doctor decided there were new medicines being made and we needed to try something else. He put me on a new drug. I'm sorry, I have the drugs backward. The first one was Rebif. The drug I'm taking now is Copaxone. And here's the, here's the difference. It was a new drug, but my doctor insisted that I take high doses of vitamin D because it's, he writes books about his belief in multiple sclerosis and how, it, how vitamin D affects it. And so he, he insisted, but you know, doctor, I, I'm, a, I'm a DJ and I spent a lot of my time with my mother on my radio show. And one of my jokes was always with my mom. She'd say, make sure you're taking your vitamin C. You know what? She had a cold. And so I used to always tell her that vitamins do nothing. So here's my doctor, my genius doctor who's written books and my wife encouraging me to take vitamin D and I don't do it. I won't do it. I've changed the medicine. Let's see what the medicine does. Well, six months later, the medicine starts to make some slow changes. And the doctor's telling me, if you're taking vitamin D, these changes will go faster. You will get better faster. So I finally, after six months of saying, I'm not going to do it, began taking high doses of vitamin D, sometimes 10,000 IUs a day. And suddenly, after six months, my condition leveled off. I stopped getting worse. And since... 2013, at that point in my life, things changed. And I got a chance to not be afraid of dying, realizing that I wasn't going to most likely because I feel, I feel like I'm not going to. I mean, I felt like I was. And then suddenly with this medicine change and this vitamin D thing, uh, I stopped deteriorating. And that's where I had to come up with the new me. That's when I started thinking, well, what am I going to do now? If I'm okay, now what? <laughs> well, I think the, the key lesson for anybody listening who may be struggling with, with MS is, uh, is not that your particular regimen will help them, but maybe if you've got a good doctor who specializes in it, maybe you should listen to them. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I can tell you that not everyone is affected as I, but... Talk to your doctor. In fact, I encourage you to read my doctor's book. Dr. Alan Bowling is his name, uh, and learn because that's what this the book is all book? about. The, the more education the you get, the better. I'm sorry, sir. Go What's ahead. What's the name of the book? The name of the book is Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis by Dr. Alan Bowling. Great. So and, you started to tell us, you know, how you feel. So how do you spend your time nowadays? Well, here's what here's what happened. Like I said, I. I, I stopped deteriorating. Uh, two years went by and suddenly things weren't as desperate as they were. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I wanted to tell my story. Uh, so that's when I started. I actually hired a writing coach here in Northern Colorado, a, a lady here who, who founded the Northern Colorado Writers Association. And I hired her to teach me how to write because I wanted to write my career story. What happened to me when MS hit me and then what I've done since then. So that's all in the memoir. But once I got finished with that, I was in the mode of writing. 
and I wanted to continue writing. So I wrote another short story fiction. And since then, I've written another one. So I have, I have a whole new me now. I write every day. I come into my office every morning, sometimes at four and five o'clock in the morning. I, I've got a variety of different projects going on. I'm, I'm a new me. And let me tell you, remember when I said that people don't want to be close to a guy like me? Here's, here's the thing. When I was Kid Curry, when I walked into a room, people noticed. Somewhere along the line, after, I, after everything started clearing out for me and I started getting better, I realized that when I roll into a room, I'm still the focus of attention because I'm in the wheelchair. So what I do now is I do what Kid Curry would do. Hey, everybody, what's up? What's going on? That's a nice dress. Thank you. Thank you for opening the door. I talk to everybody now. So I had to make a mental switch from, from being afraid of being me and going, wait a second. I'm still the guy that gets the attention. It's only because I'm in the chair. So that was something that really fixed me. And now I'm not afraid. I go everywhere. I do things. I have hand controls in my car. So I get to go to the store. I, I can crawl along the side of my my car and pull my wheelchair out and I get to go into Whole Foods and I, I get to go to my smoothie place. And uh, so I've really turned this whole thing that was a real detriment for, for years for me, scary for me. And I've, I've decided that this is the way I'm going to be now. I, I, my wife and I are very pleased. We're happy. We, we've seen it pretty bad. We've seen the worst. Mm -hmm. So it's got to get really bad to be bad in my house. Well, you should be real, real proud of yourself. And it sounds like just from what you said, one of the things that is a real aid, aside from having a good doctor, is to have either a good spouse or a good support system that really is comfortable in acknowledging and dealing with the situation the best possible ways. So, you know, again, you should be real, real proud. Let me ask you this, because yes, I know... You don't have any difficulty talking uh, based on your career. So I'm going to ask you, what advice might you give to some people? Again, I, I'm assuming that we don't have, you know, lots of MS patients out there uh, listening. There may be more than I know of, but I'm sure that many people have some kinds of adversities that they're dealing with whether it be physical or, or some other issue. And I, uh, I, I know there are some very specific things to MS, but uh, are there some general principles that you would recommend to others if they find that they're, you know, again, either dealing with some kind of a debilitating condition or chronic condition or some unexpected thing that impacts on the quality of their life if they choose to allow it to, as opposed to uh, moving forward. One thing I've, I've learned from sitting in this chair and walking with a cane, then in crutches, then to the chair, is everybody has something. Everybody has something. And I find it hard to talk about mine because I don't know what other people's is, are, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what other people are going through. So even when people ask about me, I find it hard to talk about because I know that everybody has something. But I also know, I, I'm not a religious person, but I do believe that somewhere along the line in our DNA, it's meant for you to be good. It's meant for you to try. It's meant for you to give. 
It's meant for you to be honest. I believe that's in our DNA. And, and we just have to find it as human beings. And when something happens to you that startles you like a life change, it's time to sit down and listen to yourself. Time to sit down and figure it out mm-hmm. and, and, and be aware and know that there probably is an answer. If you'll make it quiet enough in your head, you can probably find it. But with all the distractions in life, that's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. So as I said, everybody's got something, but it's important that everybody understands that I believe personally that it's within us to find the peace you need to find to live a good life and to be good to people. That's really important for me. Well, that's really wonderful advice. And uh, I mean, it's been so, so fascinating to fascinating to hear about your journey. Tell us. Uh, before we run out of time, tell us about the books and what their titles are and where people can get okay. them and so on. I'm going to flash them up real quick just so you can see them. The memoir is called Come Get Me, Mother, I'm Through, which was the tagline of the last feature of my show at night. I used to let kids call in and make jokes about their teacher and or make uh, say something about their little brother. They could make they could sing, they could do whatever they want, and I'd hang up on them or I'd make a funny remark back to them. And then when I was finished, I'd say, "Okay, come get me, mother. I'm through." And that meant my radio show was over. So I named I named my memoir "Come Get Me, Mother. I'm Through." Now the the book "The Death of Fairness." is the story about what happened to a small American town and its only radio station after President Ronald Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine. Actually, it wasn't him. It was his FCC rescinded the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. That was the federal communications rule requiring equal time for contrasting points of view. When you make lies legal without debate, you affect America. And that's what this book is about. Now, my last one, and the one I'm most proud of, and it's funny that the MS is starting to hit me now. (sighs) Hang on. (laughs) When I get very excited about things, it's very difficult for me to breathe. And I'm very excited about what happened. These two books I just told you about are self-published. I have a publisher helping me with this book. My next book is called Bonnie's Law, The Return to Fairness. And uh, it's being published uh, by my friends over at Mindster Media. J.J. Hebert uh, is the number one best-selling author. He has uh, read my story. Uh, it's, kind of, it's a version of the death of fairness, but it's a YA version. It's a young adult version. And the reason is I want some young woman, some little girl, some 12, 15, 18-year-old girl to read this book and realize that what Reagan did in 1987 can be changed. We can go back to the days of open debate on every topic and let the people decide. When you take away both sides of a, to- of a, of a debate, you take away one side, you really, you really can't make a decision. Lies were made legal in 1987, and you can go back there. So I want some young woman to read Bonnie's Law, The Return to Fairness, and go become president because Bonnie actually at the end of the book goes to file to become president to bring back the fairness doctrine. It's a good book. I'm really excited. And it comes out in the next couple of weeks. I'll have more details on that on my website at krcurry.com. Did I get my plugs in there? (laughs) 
absolutely. There will be a couple more. We got a couple more minutes <laughs> okay. for, for plugs. But I think I promised people we would have a guest who leads his life with enthusiasm. And perhaps when people heard the, the introduction and what you've been going through, people may have wondered why. But you certainly are among the most enthusiastic and passionate guests that we've we've had. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that it predated the MS, but you've really taken it to another level at this point. And, and, you know, having perhaps through this most recent book, having a real impact on on changing the world. And uh, again, I think there's so many things you can be proud about and, and certainly the books are among them. So where can people get the books? Uh, krcurry.com. Actually, the first two books are available at Amazon and on Audible. I read both my books uh, on Audible, so you can hear me read them yourself. Uh, the Death uh, Bonnie's Law will be out, like I said, in the next couple of weeks. Not on Audible yet, but it will be eventually. Uh, and they're all available through my website at krcurry.com, or you can just go to Amazon if you want. Um, I'm going to continue writing. I really sure. like doing this. It's fun. And I think it's also important that everybody realizes they should, they should know that there may be a young writer in you. As <laughs> when I started doing this, I started encouraging other people. And I've got three or four people who've come along with me and they've started writing too. So you'd be surprised what you, what you sit down and type when you want to tell your story. I encourage people to do that. I absolutely agree. I got into writing later in life than you did. And, uh, you know, the reward is, you know, tremendously just, I, I don't know the word, but but you really experience a different part of you when you actually slow down, sit down and, and put it down on paper. So, I mean, it, again, there's so many things that you can be proud of. We're going to have all the contact information on uh, the show notes and, um, and are you on social media too? Or yes, sir. Um, I'm at K.R. Curry, the author on Facebook. That's K.R. Curry, the author. Same thing on Instagram. K.R. Curry, the author on Instagram and Facebook. You'll real, find me uh, both places. Been a real uh, transition in terms of uh, your, the way you present yourself. It's no longer Kid Curry. It's Ron, that's, why I had to, that's why I had to hire somebody to teach me how to write. Because I can tell a great story, but <laughs> I'm sorry, the words that come out of the mouth are not the things that need to come out of the fingers so people can read it and make sense. So that's why I had to hire somebody. And I still work with Carrie Flanagan. She's my writing coach. Uh, she's my genius coach. She's got books out too. I don't have one of hers, but um, she actually well, teaches people how to write. So if anyone wants to learn how to write, contact me at my website and I will turn you on to Carrie Flanagan. Okay. She'll teach you how to do this. Terrific. There's a real goldmine of information on your website. <laughs> and, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and so much of the information and the inspiration that, that you have to offer the world. I'm really, really glad that I'm able to provide this to our listeners. I really want to wish you the continued success as you continue to impact on the world. And um, again, I've used the word that you should be real proud of yourself several times. I, I don't think I need to tell you that because uh, 
I think you've been living that. And again, thanks so much for sharing that information with my podcast and, and its listeners. I appreciate it, Ron. Thank you for your time. And so we come to the end of another episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser with our special guest, Kim Curry or Kid Curry or K.R. Curry, whichever <laughs> one you want to go with. Same guy with a lot of, you know, useful information. You know, again, all the information will be in the show notes. And I hope that you'll tell your friends to listen to the episode, and I hope you'll download it, rate it, review it, and uh, be back next week for another really interesting guest. It'll be a, a challenge to top who we have this week, but uh, I promise another another really good guest. And in the meantime, hope you'll visit the website, uh, thementalhealthgym.com, communicate with me, and pick up some, some other useful, positive-oriented information that will dovetail with a lot of the stuff that you heard here today. And remember about rejuvenating, the art and science of growing older with enthusiasm. So if you uh, visit uh, Amazon, you may be able to pick up a few books that can help you in your, in your growth. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Great. And, and thanks again all of you for listening in we thank kim and remember everybody stay safe out there be back next week have yourselves a real good week and looking forward to connecting again real soon